Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, badder, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance and a fancy SVP title, I left corporate America to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the marketplace, and the boardroom. Now the CEO of my own media company, my goal is to change the world for my daughter and her friends. My first book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, dropped this fall and is based on what women wish they would have known when they were girls. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a safe place for us to share our goals and our dreams for the future. We record every week from the sound studio at The Space LV. Alia Lanius is a hard woman to describe and in the best way possible. It was tough to decide what subject to cover in our time together on gold, and you will see why. What came out of it was a theme of perspective in all manner of ways. She is a three-time cancer survivor, writes books to change minds and hearts, and lives with chronic illness and a resiliency that is unwavering and inspirational. Alia is the founder of Unsugarcoated Media, an American novelist, business leadership coach, inspirational speaker, and advocate. As an American Muslim with a German and Mediterranean background, Alia is fully aware of the conflicting psyche living in America. Her first novel, Tough Love, in 2018, began a journey of authoring fiction that strikes at social issues. In it, she shatters the belief that women should sacrifice themselves for love and hits on an undercurrent of domestic violence. In her second novel, Jugend, she felt pulled to empower underrepresented groups in society by directly challenging hateful rhetoric and racism through a beautiful story of two men throughout time. Alia resides with her husband, Hollywood film attorney and executive producer Joseph Lanius, and is the mother of four. I can't even tell you how valuable this conversation is to me personally. Let's dig in. I'm so excited to have with me today Alia Lanius, who I got to meet in person through mutual friend Vipul from Know Your Legacy. Uh, we had lunch in LA and we just totally hit it off. And I love what you're doing, what you're about. So I want to thank you for joining my podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. We're going to have a great conversation. And one of the things I was joking about before we got started was I don't know what specific subject to talk about with Alia because you can talk about like anything and everything that's important to me. So I figured we're just going to kind of let this magic happen. We're just going to let this go. Um, you are a novelist. You have two books that have come out. And one of the things that I find really fascinating about you is that your fiction in many ways mirrors your personal life. And you have a personal desire to make sure that you empower underrepresented groups um, in society and talk about tough issues. And I just want to kind of talk to you about that. Like, what's your drive? I know that when we talked and we sat down, you said, my fiction is my love, right? Like, I, I will never walk away from my fiction. So tell me what draws you to that and why you use storytelling as a way to really affect change. Well, I think, uh, thank you so much. I think that like any storyteller, you know, one of the things that draws me to fiction is the ability to create a world that I've created. And to some extent, there are people who are like, well, that's, you know, okay. But I'm like, but yeah, but I created it. So it's okay. <laughs> um, at the same token, 
you know, I also feel that fiction draws people in. There's uh, so many things that we need to talk about in the current world. And, you know, I have to admit to you, Jenna, a, a couple years ago, you know, sitting on Facebook, you know, people just want to argue and mm. talk about things and argue and go back and forth and call each other names. And I'm not that person. So I, you know, I became frustrated on how do I share my world, my truths, other people's truths with individuals who don't want to listen. Well, sometimes we want to do it with a story. And I found that it was a way to empower and entertain. And I thought, how perfect. And I love to write. So, you know, that's what drives me is the ability to kind of create something that can bring those conversations. It's not so confrontational mm -hmm. and it's not, you know what I'm saying? There's not that back and forth. And I get to tell the story. I get to share the truths and then people, um, I, and I've been so thankful that the responses are, wow, this message does need to be out there. Okay. This is told very well. I get it. I, there's an emotional attachment. Not everyone gets it because some people, you know, still, still don't want to listen, but those that do want to learn and grow and then, you know, read an amazing story at the same time, mm -hmm. I'm able to accomplish that with this. Well, and I love, so Tough Love covers um, your first, um, that was out in 2018. It, it speaks to um, difficult relationship dynamics and even uh, sp uh, spousal or partner abuse. And with the new one that you have out, I'd love for you to talk about that too. Can you can you share a little bit about both? Yes. And yes, sure, what thanks. the story, like what the storyline and, and what the feedback has been on those particular subjects? Well, Tough Love is a biographical fiction based on my life. Mm -hmm. So it is a fictionalized version of my life. And, you know, it does talk about difficult relationships, but what it more addresses is this concept of perfection and concepts of staying in a relationship just to fulfill the facade of what we were told in our previous generations. You know, I was literally told you stay in a marriage, no matter unhealthy, unhappy you are, you sacrifice everything for the family. And I came with tough love. I'm shattering that. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, no, you do have a right as a woman, as a mother to think of yourself, to, to, to still, and you, you actually in turn make your family better by doing that in, in certain cases, you know, as this particular character did, her life became better once she was able to rid the toxicity and then move forward. And then, and as a result of that, because, you know, the truth is once you take yourself out of a place where uh, chaos is what your life or the unhappiness. It's amazing the doors that open because now you're in a place to receive it. Mm -hmm. Now you're in a place to move forward, find better. And that's what that book does because there's so much shame associated still with divorce, with thinking, you know, this is not healthy for me. I can't be in this situation anymore. And so many women struggle with that decision. So tough love is an inner character. It is the inner dialogue of a woman who goes through that transition of I'm not happy, this isn't healthy, and I need to move forward, and what that what what took place in that, uh, the response to that was you know I, I it's it's been it's honor it's humbling when someone writes me and says I read your book and you know as much as don't get me wrong I'm not a proponent for divorce or anything but she was in an unhealthy relationship she related to my story so that lets me know that there was abuse involved and she said I filed for divorce after reading your book I mean like I was blown away that somebody could feel empowered. And that's really what I wrote that book to do, empower others. And um, Tough Love is, um, excuse me, uh, Zhugend, which is my second novel that just released March 31st, is a historical fiction novel. It's based on two boys from two different timelines. One is 1937, so it's Nazi 
Hitler, uh, uh, anti-Semitism. The second uh, storyline involves a, an American youth who has fallen prey to white supremacy and is uh, now has Islamophobia. And so I'm taking those two, I'm putting them in a story, and you know it, it begs the question: How much love is needed to conquer fear, unnecessary fear, and hate? Mm. And in the end, you know, I'm very excited. I mean, these both both of these characters, they're heroes ultimately. In the in the end, I will give that little giveaway because you know some people, and and it's in an, and I'm touched that nobody sees the end coming. But I really, um, I wanted to talk about those issues for everyone mm. in this in in the world right now because racism. I'm sorry, what I take on in it is is hateful rhetoric and racism. And though, and, and that is not exclusive to America, that is, that, is, that is a worldwide issue that we have right now. And still, still, we still have it. We've always had it, it's still there. And so, you know, I really do write this book with a beautiful story intended to touch people, open their eyes, and directly take on that rhetoric that we see today. Well, and I love because of where you come from, right? So your heritage plays a very big part in this. Um, you're American Muslim with a German and Mediterranean background. So you've experienced both sides and, and can bring it all together. How much does your heritage and your experiences um, create conversation or um, a desire to almost advocate uh, for awareness and for um, a better situation between um Races. I know that we talk specifically about how you want people to know what it's really like being a Muslim woman. Exactly. You know, I'm so hugely, I'm being honored uh, this Saturday, tomorrow rather, <laughs> for with the American Mothers Organization, um, a great organization founded by Eleanor Roosevelt. Uh, wow. So it's very historical. And I'm being, I was a finalist as, um, as being nominated to represent California as Mother of the Year. And so I'm giving a speech tomorrow. And I, I have to tell you, Jeanette, okay, so like let's i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna talk here and like be real candid with you because you know i never there was never once a point in my life that i used to have to feel i had to tell people i was muslim i didn't feel it really mattered it didn't you know and i and i knew and i knew in doing so sometimes i would draw unnecessary criticism or unnecessary um uh stereotypes because i don't fit in a box you know and that's the thing most people don't fit in a box do you fit in a box no. personally no, no. You don't fit in a box, right <laughs> i'm confusing <laughs> people are always wanting to put people in these boxes that we don't belong in. And so I have decided to definitely, like you said, advocate more because, um, you know, I'll give you a truthful scenario. I, I'm a three-time cancer survivor and I've, I'm so thankful to be, you know, not thankful as in I, I'm thankful I got cancer, but I am so amazed at the cancer community and the women and men that I know within that community are just incredible human beings that I love and adore. And so I went through a period of, of, of life where I enveloped, I, you know, all these people came into my life and cancer was our common denominator. Mm -hmm. Well, um, you know, in the last few years, when more rhetoric has been taking place and there's just been this, you know, kind of, you know, you've got the Muslim ban and you've got people being more vocal. And, you know, here I am, their friend. And then they start putting things about Muslims. And I'm saying, you know, Muslims should be killed and they, they're, no, they're no good for our country. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. I'm a Muslim here. So I'm your friend. And that hurt. That hurt very much because I started to realize I have to speak up. Mm -hmm. And I have to give people a true representation of, of what that means. And which to some degree, it really means like a, a title is just a title. You know, if you're a Catholic, you can't just say, oh, that person does this, this, they go to mass. You know, I mean, you just can't do that. So 
my background and how I've been treated at times and what I've seen at times has very much played into why I've chosen these topics, why I choose these social issues to discuss because, um, because I've experienced them. You know, a lot of, even the historical fiction, though it is a completely fictional book, Jeanette, you know, I use real life things that have happened to my family mm -hmm. in the book. You know, there's a story that I tell where one of the characters shares that she's, um, she's in school, she's a Muslim girl, and somebody comes up to her, a classmate runs up to her and hands her a paper and says, you know, um, and she says, what is this? And, she's, and he says, oh, it's, it's a bomb, Allahu Akbar, and runs off and thinks it's really funny. And she opened, you know, she, she, uh, she, you know, she has this paper and, and that feeling, you know. Well, that is in the book, but that really happened to my daughter. Hmm. That, that, that really, you know, she really, my older daughter was really called a terrorist in school, you know, as a joke. And, you know, these things hurt. These things hurt. And so, and I picked youth because I feel that that's a very sweet spot of where we can influence society. Um, secondary to that, I actually choose women to be very influential within my stories because I feel we are so influential as mothers, as women, you know what I mean? We're, we're very powerful and we, we can change the tide because ultimately it all goes back to how we're mentoring, how we're teaching, how, what we're showing, what life we're living that then people around us, you know, emulate. So, uh, you know, that my background is like, like you mentioned, I'm, you know, my, my, my mom's side of the family, I mean, they've been here for so long. Like it's just, you know, it's American through and through But my dad does happen to come, you know, from another country and he is an immigrant. And so I have these two very contrasting sides. And for me, I feel who better to stand up and be able to speak on these topics because I actually do understand both worlds. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I remember happening after several of the shootings, right? I, it's hard to even call, like pick one at this point because there's been so many, um, was communities coming together um, in awareness. I remember specifically after the Pulse shooting in Orlando in our community, um, the LGBTQ community came together with the Muslim community and the Christian community and just had like a sit down, like, I'm going to ask stupid questions, right? Yes. And this yeah. is a safe space because sometimes we don't even realize the stuff that we're saying is inappropriate or gendered or racial or or because of of how we've been raised or how we've been conditioned. I, I saw it on – I was watching – I'm addicted to Queer Eye for the straight guy. Mm -hmm. And I was watching it last night and they were helping a man and he asked the question like, well, which one of you is the woman and which one of you is the man in the relationship? And you saw both of the actors kind of just like – okay, let's unpack this, right? Let's right. <laughs> help you understand that that's such a terrible, sexist thing to say in a way that's loving, right? In a way that's right. like, I'm not going to hate on you because you don't know better. Yes. But I'm going to bring you to this space. And that's what kind of that open forum was between community leaders. And I know that they've wanted to do that again in my community where they bring cops together with the community, with different religious groups and things like that. And it's been helpful, but it's few and far between. So sure. I guess my question to you is like, I love the fact that with your cancer community, you know, you're able to look at them, a person that probably has grieved with you, who's gone through treatment with you and be like, hey, that's me that you're talking about. Yeah. And I'm sure when you put it in front of them and it's your face, it's a different response and reaction. Like, what would you recommend to people who are like trying to be more aware of their own constructs when it comes to race, religion, or gender? 
I mean, my advice is to just uh, take a step back and maybe experience it a little. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I do. And it's funny you brought that up. I, you know, there's a very intentional purpose that I, as a Muslim, highlight even the beauty of another faith in, in Judaism or, you know, the people. I'm very intentional in that inner faith aspect of the book mm-hmm. because that's what needs to happen. You know, we do need to sit down and, and take some time, have a picnic or, you know, it's it's so funny. People always wonder you know, when they come over to my house, well, what's going to happen if I come over? I mean, I don't know. You're going to come in, you're going to get a hug, you're going <laughs> to some water, and you're going to hear, like, let's, you know, it's not like, you know, it's it's very interesting to me, people's perceptions, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my biggest advice is experience it a little bit first before you make the judgments. And mm-hmm. that's with everything. It's funny that you made that comment because, you know, one, one that I'm sure you can, you know, one of my one of my best friends is uh, is an African American gentleman. We've known each other since uh, seventh grade, actually. And I, I remember one of the most, you know, I, even in my younger days, you know, I remember saying, "You're so articulate for a black guy," oh, and wow, it was like yeah. such a compliment. But oh my god, it's like the worst thing I could have said, right? Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. Like, we, we say things like that because, like you said, we've been conditioned to think a way that's really not correct and and there's just so much more information and uh, yeah my biggest advice is stop reading everything on the internet and believing it <laughs> That's yeah. one thing, you know but yeah I mean experience is is a teacher in itself right yeah. well it's it's interesting too like I, I find with like talking to my daughter um lately the conversations so her her two best friends have um one has two moms and one has two dads and so it's always been that way for her, right? That's just mm-hmm. the way it is. That's just the way life is. You can choose who you love. And all of a sudden, little boys at school whose parents aren't as aware of, right. <laughs> you know, whatever, um, she's like, Mommy, I don't understand. They're coming home and you know, she's coming home and telling me, like, they're saying that it's it's bad to be gay. And it's almost as parents, like, you have to kind of also parent for the people around, right? You have to also be aware of, like, so, like, with your daughter, when that happened to her, what's the message that you share with her when she comes home and she's like, I was just accused of being a terrorist? You know, I mean, the message is that you you have to reinforce to them that that is a reflection of other people's ideologies and it is not a reflection of you, you know? And, and you do have to teach thick skin. And I'm going to tell you, I'm a parent and I've gone through that process. Yes, our society now is putting us in predicaments where we do have to answer questions a lot earlier than we did before, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, yeah. I didn't... I didn't know about certain things. And then to ask the questions about them was certainly something that I wasn't going to do. And then I wasn't really around it. But our society has changed. And I know that that ruffles a lot of feathers. Um, but the alternative is what living in a bubble i don't know what's yeah. the alternative to, to to being in society and learning and growing and and trying to find ways that we can um you know i mean because ultimately even if i don't agree with someone else's way of living that still doesn't mean that they are bad people that doesn't mean that they don't respect deserve respect and courtesy it has nothing to do with those things. So, you know, one thing is I, like I said, you know, and I always tell my kids, you know, you go around and you treat people based on who you are, mm. not who they are. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I think that that's really beautiful. And it's, it's, it's about more about character, right? Character building mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. helping them in even navigate those situations of adversity. I know that you are creating EmpowerCon. And I want to talk to you about that because we talked about like how you really want to bring um, women together. And Tell me a little bit about the idea behind it and what you're hoping to accomplish. 
Well, PowerCon is open to all. It's it because I believe that in helping women grow, we also do need to bring men to the table. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's that's something that's a given. So in order to empower ourselves, we need to empower our communities in general. And PowerCon is going to be uh, it's the first of its kind of event uh, with my uh, organization, Unsugarcoated Media, which is a nonprofit organization. We are holding it at the LA Convention Center on August 31st. This is an, you know, a team of experts that are coming together. We've all overcome obstacles beyond imagination, um, living a life that is empowered, and in turn, we want to empower others. And so in this one-day event, strategies are going to be shared that will increase the attendees' ability to maintain that superior mentality in every facet of their lives. And so... You know, it's it's the 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 mantra is admit, ask and adjust. And that's because it's broken into three sessions. So the first one is going to be listening to people talk about and also getting the audience, you know, let's admit the issues that we have. Let's admit that the Cinderella Disney uh, ideology is wrong. We don't get to grow up and marry the prince and have a happily ever after. There is work that goes into making our lives, the quality of life we want to, even when things aren't perfect. Because that's the thing, I never sell that life is perfect. It's not. There are going to be obstacles. There are going to be rainy days. How are you going to, you know, help it? How are you going to make it through um, with the higher suicide rates and things like that, higher divorce? All of those play into it, right? So the second portion is ask. So it will be a Q&A with uh, a panel of moderators where the audience gets to ask those questions. Ask the ones that are uncomfortable. Like you said, it's a safe space. Mm-hmm. So Ask the question that you need to ask or ask the one that you've been needing to, to help you move forward. The third session is Adjust, where we will actually t- be teaching my um, good friends coming from Canada, uh, Anshal Vala. She is a, um, she's been personally trained by Jack Canfield and mentored, and who is the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, very well-respected gentleman. And she is just incredible. She will be u- doing exercises and teaching people you know, how do, how, how, so, how, so we've asked, done, you know, done the admit, we've done the ask now, how do we adjust? Mm-hmm. So she'll be sharing with the audience how we can do that. And then at the end, we're having a little party so that we can celebrate all that we've uh, gone through in this day event. So I'm quite excited. And, um, you know, it, it really is, you know, look, I, I heard the most amazing saying, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm building like all my, a lot of my speeches around this right now. You know, I've been raised with that. You can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? Mm-hmm. But you can put salt in the hay and make that horse thirsty. <laughs> I like that. I love that. That's it, right? Like, how do we make people thirsty for change? Oh, and that's that. what this is about. Talk to me about change because I think that that's such a beautiful, like, I, it's part of, I went through a really tough time, right? And so, like, I sought out these types of conferences. I sought out thought leaders. I sought out – I was I was searching, right, to, to really kind of figure out where I was broken and repair that, to repair it myself in a lot of ways. And now I might be a little bit addicted to change. <laughs> like, the leveling right? up feels good, right? Like, yes. it's painful sometimes because sometimes you have to leave things behind or people behind. Um, but I think that – if you don't sit in that growth mindset, like you're going to end up in complacent relationships and things like that. What's your what's your relationship with change and with growth? And like, what's your kind of trajectory been in that regard? You know, I mean, well, my life has been full of change, uh, even when I've tried not to have change. And I think, you know, like you, I've I've accepted it. And I, you know, 
we grew up in a generation where people are like, okay, you're going to grow up, you're going to graduate from high school, you're going to go to college, you're going to go work at a company, and then you're going to retire from there. Mm -hmm. And I just never, that wasn't going to be my life. My mother was an entrepreneur. And so I just was always around entrepreneurs. And I said, no, but, you know, then I went through, you know, changes. I was homeless at 14 years old. I had to find a place to live. And then I had to fight for everything that I had in my life. And, you know, um, change is a beautiful thing. I mean, you look at a butterfly and it goes from, you know, your caterpillar to your butterfly wings and the colors. It's very, it's, it's a part of life that I think so many people are afraid of, but it is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it can, and it's, I think, especially as a mother, it's important to show your family that change is okay, because change is going to happen. You could go to school, you could get your degree, you could go work for this company, and then five years in, you're like, this is the worst job, I don't ever wanna do this, I wanna do something completely different, and once again, people will make you feel guilty. Well, you're being irresponsible, well, why are you changing? You did all this, it's like, you know, it'd be for what, for to be happy. And, you know, people always say life is short, and I say, yes, but it's terribly long if you're miserable. <laughs> That's so, truth. You know, anybody who's ever been in a bad relationship or lived, you know, not, you know where you go home and you don't want to go home or mm-hmm. you go to sleep and you're not, you know, you're having to take Xanax because you just can't even get to sleep because your mind won't stop. You know, it, it's important to have the quality of life that you deserve. And as much as you have to change your life to achieve that, then do it. Yeah. You know, I always say to my friends, whatever you choose to do, it, I'm, I'm on the sidelines clapping, cheering you on, supporting you, letting you know that that is okay. I love it. Uh, and it's like you become addicted to it, right? You become addicted mm-hmm. to making sure that you're living your best life exactly. or heading in that direction at all times. And one of the things I want to I wanna share or have you talk about a little bit is um, you actually, you, you live with, a, with chronic illness. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd like for you to talk because you're so peppy and so excited and so happy and you've had all of this adversity and it's not like it's behind you, right? Right. You, you have something every day that you have to overcome and that you've learned how to manage. Um, so it's possible. So like, can you talk a little bit about that and that resiliency that's required in order to keep that positive frame of mind? You know, I, I have, it's one, I, I don't know if I'm going to, I'm going to shorten it just so I'm not doing anything inappropriate. It's one effing day at a time. <laughs> and I hope your audience doesn't mind my being blunt like that. No, I day, love it. That's it. It's, it's really like, I, so I live with two autoimmune diseases. Uh, one is Sjogren's, one is uh, rheumatoid arthritis. And you're right, people look at me and they're like, wow, you know, you look so great, you're so high. And, you're, and, and it, it is, I don't ever want to say it's an act because it's not. It, but it is that desire within me to make the most of every day. And not every day is a good day. Mm-hmm. And on those days, I take it easy. I take it off. I sit in my bed, I will turn on the remote control and I say, today is my day because I have to take this day, you know, and I don't get those too far in between because now I have a two-year-old, as you know, so she, right. you know, but, but I mean, I will say like, it is, it, it, you know, I live where people look at me and they judge this book by its cover, ironically enough. And I say, don't, because, you know, I, I, yeah, I live with an incredible amount of pain. I do my best to find homeopathic and remedies that don't, you know, further at issues. Cause that's the thing with pain and chronic illness. They'll say, okay, well, we're going to give you this medicine. It's going to treat that issue, but then you're going to have issues over here probably. Yeah. And you're just dealing constantly with this conundrum of like, okay, do I, you know, which is worse, which is better. 
And I, you know, I advocate for CBD and alternative method methods, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in dealing with it. If somebody so chooses, they should have that option. And, you know, but, I, you know, look, Jeanette, I would never sit here and tell somebody that every day is easy. It's not. Absolutely not. I wake up in pain. But you know what? I wake up alive mm -hmm. and I'm still here and I'm still breathing. And that to me is the silver lining for a bad that a good doesn't come. What my chronic illness has taught me is that you can push through. You know, it's not easy, but you can. And, you know, every day is an opportunity to challenge yourself. Uh, and, you know, um, and, and I feel that way because I do have my kids. Um, I have my, um, I have a 22 year old, a 13 year old, an 11 year old, and a two year old. And <laughs> so, span. yeah, I get tired just saying it. <laughs> but they, you know, um, my 11 and 13 year old, you know, they, they, they live, they don't live a life where they can, they, you know, when I went through treatment, when I went through chemo and when I went through immunotherapy, uh, they didn't understand when mommy was tired. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember my daughter peeking over the bed, can we go outside? She was about three or four and I, I had had chemo and it was, you know, it took everything in me to crawl out of bed mm -hmm. and take her. But kids don't often understand that. that. And, you know, it, it, and I've learned that I feel that there's times I step back, but then there's times I push forward so that they can understand that because they will learn what they live from me as their mentor, whether I want to be their mentor or not, mm -hmm. I am, and they're watching. And so, you know, it's just, but you know, my, my blessing is I share that, uh, with others who go through it as well. So to the community of chronic illness and people who live with that every day, you know, I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to inspire them. I had, you know, I had one woman who got a tattoo on her arm or on her hand of a story that I told about a spider and that a spider that wouldn't give up. And she, you know, and that meant so much to me that someone else would take something that I shared from my own personal life and my own personal struggle with it and then feel that impacted. And not about the tattoo or me, it's just that they felt that connected to that story of I can not give up. This is, I'm not a quitter. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's it. Chronic illness is something that a lot of people don't understand. You know, they look at you and they think, oh, you're fine. I have a handicap placard and people are like, what do you have that for? I'm like, cause really in, in, in between, in my body, you have no idea what's going <laughs> on. Like, it's kind of funny. <laughs> but, what yeah. do you do to, what do you, like, I'm curious about your, I know that you have faith and I think that that's such a big part of, of, Anyone that I talk to, I have several people who've asked me, like, hey, will you coach me? I'm looking at doing a mastermind. And one of the things that has become a requirement is that they believe in something bigger than them um, and that they're excited about something. And for you, I'm, I know that your faith has a lot to do with um, your outlook and probably your ability to get through being a mom and wanting to, to make sure that you're a good example for your children. But what, is your, what does your self-care look like? Do you have any type of tools, um, a daily practice or anything like that that gets you through? Meditation, mm -hmm. meditation, visual meditation has been key for me. Definitely it stepped in or became a very important part of my regimen when I battled cancer. Um, I remember so distinctly envisioning, envisioning the cancer cells and I would envision my, can my healthy cells boxing them. Mm -hmm. I would envision them beating the crap out of them because I was like, no, you're not going to live in my body. And I've taken on meditation as a very serious part because 
part of my faith beliefs are that we are stronger than we realize and that within us is capacities and capabilities that we don't tap into. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you agree? Like we hear that all the time. I know that you and I are both, we, people just don't use enough of their brain. They don't use enough of their capabilities mm-hmm. to actually heal themselves and or heal their situations. So for me, meditation and visualization has been especially important that. And guess what? It's It has gone into all parts of my lives. When I went through my divorce from my last husband, I very much visualized what I saw my life as. I saw the potential for what it could be. I didn't so much focus on what it had been. There was no need for that. It was done once I divorced. So let's not focus on the past. Let's focus on what you see your future being. And every single thing has come to pass. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether it's because by visualizing it in my self-care, you know, and I see myself taking care of myself too, mm-hmm. you know, I'll give you, I, 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 um, I remember even when it talks about physical fitness, you know, I developed a, a tactic where I would envision myself looking in a mirror and I would say, okay, you know, I would, re- I would close my eyes and I would meditate and I would fully create this vision of me looking in a mirror and I would say, okay, well, what don't you like? And then I took that mirror in my visual uh, imagery and I would put it to the side and then I would get another mirror and then I would see, okay, well, what do you want to see? Mm -hmm. If you want that change in life, you want this, what do you want to see? How do you see yourself in the mirror? And that image is what I would focus on. So I would put away the old and I would focus on what what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, lo and behold, it, it it would become my reality. But I feel that so many people miss out on that opportunity and largely because life is crazy, right? How much people are like, meditate. I barely have time to think. You want me to sit there and close my eyes and breathe and do all of that? Yes, I do. Because that even 10 minutes of that can completely help you, Mm -hmm. you know, like, have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and just smiled, like smiled? It had, I had to do it consciously. I had to make it a practice. Because of the same kind of thing, because you look in the mirror and you see your flaws. And instead, I had to start greeting the mirror with a smile <laughs> like exactly. and being like, I love my hips. I love this about myself. Yeah. It, was, it was conscious. I know. I had a girlfriend the other day. She came over. She says, I've gained weight. And I said, and you look fantastic, right? Because that's usually the negative. We always do the opposite. Oh, you look like you've lost weight. This is somehow a compliment amongst women. <laughs> right. you know? I, I had somebody tell me that once. And it was so, it was kind of funny because she told me, wow, you lost so much weight. Well, what she didn't know was the reason I'd actually lost a lot of weight was because I was going through chemo and because my chemo didn't make all of my hair fall out. It actually made a large portion of it fall out, but it didn't make it all fall out. Mm-hmm. So she just saw, you know, she wasn't focused on that though. She was just like, wow, you're super thin. This is somehow fantastic. Never mind how I had lost 20 pounds in a month. And she, uh, then one of our friends came over and was like, she, so the next day she came, she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that was why you had lost so much weight. So when I see my friends have gained weight, I celebrate that because it means they're healthy. And like, if you're yeah. enjoying life, if you're happy, then I'm happy for you, yeah. you know? So yeah. And I, and I, and I think that smiling at ourselves and just smiling in general can give you such a disposition in life that's needed because once again, it is hard. <laughs> well, it's so funny because like I have this whole exercise that was um, that's in my book where it's like look in the mirror and start getting out of that. Here are the things that are negative 
and instead saying, I am strong. I am beautiful. Yeah. I am. So that it almost becomes your mantra every time you look in the mirror. So the first thing you think of is like those things you love about yourself or that you know about yourself so in- inherently mm-hmm. that you're no longer paying attention to the comparisons. And, yeah. you know, the other thing that I think is so important is that with women, we have a tendency not only to be like, oh my God, you look, you lost weight, you look great. But we kind of bash ourselves in solidarity. We have a tendency yeah. to be like, oh my God, I'm feeling whatever. And the next person next to us is like, oh girl, have you seen my split ends? Have you seen this? Yes. And someone else is like, but mine's better because my wrinkle, my wrinkles are worse. And you're like, why are we doing this to ourselves? Yeah. It's, it's the one up game. We're always one up on, on like whatever, you know, and or, or, or somebody gives you a compliment. They say, oh my goodness, you look fantastic. And then you say, oh, I need to lose 10. Oh, thank you. But I'm actually on my fat weight right now. I'm, I've, I need to lose 10 pounds. Right. And I, and I feel, and I, so I speak to that. I say, why, why are we doing that? And you know, um, I, I have to say like, it's, 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 it's not as prevalent amongst men, but it has been funny to talk to some men and find out that there, there, there is that self-conscious there. They're just easier able to put it to the side somehow, Mm -hmm. but women, we don't, we really focus on that. You know, I, as a young woman grew up thinking if I didn't look a certain way, my husband might cheat on me. Um, you know, if I didn't, if I, you know, there, well, there was that philosophy of don't give your man a reason to cheat. Right. Right. That's the worst thing you could tell a woman. Yeah. That is the worst ideology that you can have. Because guess what? If a guy is going to cheat, honey, he's going to cheat regardless. You could be a super, mo- you could be Giselle. Yep. You could be, you could be, you know, you could be successful. You could be, because there's many reasons. Again, those are reflections of the person committing that act. It usually has nothing to do with, you know, their partner. But we take on that guilt. We it's... take on, we say, well, why wasn't I good enough? Right. You were good enough. You were good enough all along. You know, so I think that having that mantra and the other thing that I was going to say, that was another thing that I would do. I put post-its and it, you know, my, my post-it happened to say at the time, I want to watch my children grow up. I want to, (laughs) I don't want to get emotional when I say this. (laughs) Tell me. I want to, I want to have all those kisses. I want to have all those hugs more than anything. I want to live. That was my mantra when I was going through cancer. Oh, wow. That's so powerful. it, It was just to live. Because you sorry. saw, no, no, don't be sorry. And I have goosebumps. I've like learned with this whole podcasting thing that a lot of times my guests will say something and I get emotional and I used to try not to and like walk through it and be like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. And now I'm like, no, like you made me tear up because it's, you were able to visualize your children and your future and who you wanted to be for them. Right. And that got you through. And the fact that it's still so close to your heart now, years later, um, yeah. is really, really beautiful. And I think that's the power of visualization, right? That's the power of having the ability yes. to kind of see the life you want. And I've been very uh, similar in the sense that everything that I visualized or decided that I wanted to bring in my life eventually comes into my life. But you also have to be conscientious of the way you're asking, yes, right? Yes, because yes. sometimes we ask for things that are ego-based or sometimes we ask for lessons and we don't even realize that we're doing it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you have to kind of be really, really super aware. And of- see past the fears. Because one thing that you just hit on, Jeanette, when I was doing the visualization, that was also how I combated the fear. Mm-hmm. So when I was going through that, um, I, I was afraid my children would grow up and not know the sound of my voice or not remember it or not remember what I looked like or how I laughed or how I hugged them. I was so petrified that I would die and they would not know those things. Mm. And, um, but that was how my visualization combated that. Yeah. No. I will be there. They will know the sound of my voice. I will see them grow up and I will live. And, you know, the, the truth of the matter is 
I have to tell you when, you know, uh, it's, I will live as, as long as I'm supposed to, because in our community, death is a reality. Mm -hmm. I've known some amazing souls who fought so hard to be here and their time came, their time came and they, they've moved on to a different place. Right. And some people say, well, then they, they lost. And I say, but I mean, they didn't, did they not have the opportunity to live as long as they did? No, did. Yes. But I will tell you this from till the moment they died, they lived as well as they could. And that taught me something, mm -hmm. you know, it taught me to not waste time that others wish they had. Yeah. You know, I live my life in a way because I know, and, and that's going back to what you talk about, how I live my life every day that I wake up in pain. And when I say that, at least I'm here. I still have another day that I get to make the most of. I get to take my kids to Venice and ride on the beach, uh, you know, ride on the bikes, or I get to run and play in the backyard. That means something to me. And because of that, I'm grateful. Uh, so I never look at it as, you know, wow, I'm in pain. It's such a horrible day. No, it's a good day because I'm here and I'm having this opportunity. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. I am. Um, I love your soul and your spirit. Like every time that we've had a conversation, I can, I feel you. Um, I, I think it's like so, it's inspirational because a lot of times like we don't, most people haven't had the same experience, especially three times, right? You've had cancer diagnosis three times, had to fight through it three times. Most of us are just like, getting through life like, oh, today was hard, <laughs> you know, and we're just, it's, it's, I'm thankful for you sharing your story and your visualizations to almost provide some perspective. And, you know, one of the things I want to ask you is through the course of your life, you've had many experiences. And that's why when we first started talking, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. We're just going to flow and see what comes out of it because yeah. you are, you just have had this very rich, um, experienced life. Um, so when you look back over the course of your life and you look at your younger self, pick an age, whatever age comes to you, what does she look like and what does she need from you? What would you want to say to your younger self? Um, I think of being a 14 year old girl. Uh, my parents had both, uh, abandoned me literally. And that's a longer story behind that. But I was sleeping in Kaiser ICU waiting rooms. And I had stolen a pack of no-dos from a liquor store to commit suicide. Mm. Um, <laughs> to that younger girl, I would say, you're making me cry. Sorry, I do it all the time. You are, <laughs> you are so much more powerful than you know. Mm. And um, you're capable of setting and achieving life-changing goals that will take you through the deepest valleys, but take you to mountaintops that when you stand up there, you can appreciate them so much. And my, young, my advice to her is to fight with everything that you have for everything that you will receive. And the, both the good and bad will teach you. Mm -hmm. You know, for a bad that a good doesn't come, and in reality, we can't have the good without the bad. I even say, you'll fall in love with someone, love them, love them, but one of you is gonna die one day, one of you is gonna go, and that's gonna hurt. So there's no way to avoid pain in this life. But with that pain comes such amazing triumph. With that pain comes when you look back, you say, damn it, I can't believe I came that far. I can't believe I did that. So to anybody who ever faces an obstacle, that's my message to them. I have goosebumps. It's really beautiful. That's 
I don't mean to get emotional. <laughs> no, it's girl. You've got <laughs> you. But have I do. It's real. Right. It's authentic. That's the thing I will say. It, it's it happens because it's really in there. You know what I mean? And yeah. We all. We all. I know you and I. That's why we connect. We could sit there. We could cry together. We could laugh together. Yeah. We could cheers together. You know, and and I and that's wonderful. That is the beautiful part of life that makes it worth living. I love that. I, it's kind of funny because I that's in my love letter to my younger self. It was you are so powerful. You just don't know yet. And um. I just think I love how you put it together. You can tell that you're a writer. Um, we live our words. We live and breathe our words, right? We feel emotions very deeply. Um, if you could leave behind, um, and I think you just did, but if you could <laughs> leave behind any gold uh, nuggets of wisdom or inspiration, something that you'd want to leave behind from your experiences, um, a sentence, a, a phrase, um, knowing if you were if you were departing and you wanted to leave something, what would it be? Live your truth and find your adventure. I love it. I love it. And it feels like you've lived such a big, storied life for purpose, right? And it's um, it's really beautiful and it's really inspiring. And I am so grateful to you. I'm grateful to the pool for putting us together. Yes. Um, we were both on his podcast, Know Your Legacy, and he's like, the two of you have to meet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so. and I totally know why of course once I met you I was like yes yeah, this makes it. sense um <laughs> thank you thank you for for spending some time with me I appreciate you so much um and I just I'm so excited to see what happens um and how your your words affect others so thank you for for sharing with us thank you so much I appreciate it my my love to you and your audience as well Thank you for listening today. Alia is all heart and I'm thrilled she is on this earth to share her story and her call to find perspective in all things. You can find Alia on IG at Alia underscore unsugarcoated. Alia and I talk about doing deep work to uncover your messaging, which is the cardinal point of my new book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future. Get into the work with me. Lore is available on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share it with your friends. I am always interested in content that uplifts, so if you have things you'd like to hear about, please share them with me in the comments. You can also find me on Instagram at ms.janetteschneider or Twitter at msjwrites. If you want some help moving toward that intentional life, join me every week on my intention journey. I'm inviting you totally free from my heart to your inbox. Sign up for my love notes at JeanetteSchneider.com. And before you even wake up on Monday mornings, there will be a huge dose of motivation waiting for you. Yes, I will wake you up on Monday morning with intention setting prompts and give you some tips as to what is setting my soul on fire. On Fridays, I'm going to remind you to let go, recharge, and love yourself up with some self-care prompts to get present in your downtime. Intentional living is where it's at, y'all. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.